0: That you're here with us, that you inhabit the praise of your people. We thank you, Father, that you uh, welcome us into your presence. Thank you, Lord God, that that anywhere that we are, we are in your presence. That you are with us. Uh, we have celebrated this um, this past Christmas season of this child that became our Savior who is known as God with us. And we are so grateful, Father, that you continue to be with us, that you, have, that you have lavished on us your grace and that you've paved the way for us to be able to walk in that grace, uh, to, to walk in a loving relationship with you, loving you and be loved by, being loved by you. And we thank you, Lord, for this corporate expression of this, that we're able to gather together and be your body. Um, with Christ as our head. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, better prepare us uh, more and more for serving you individually and as a body. Um, And as in all things, that it would be an outgrowth and um, in addition to uh, or or add to our personal walk uh, with Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are looking at these, during these five weeks, the idea of bodybuilding, being the body of Christ in 2017. What do we see that looking like? What do we believe God has for that to look like? Um, Raise your hand for me if you made a New Year's resolution, at least one New Year's resolution in January. Okay. All right. Now... Be honest here. Raise your hand if you've already at least partially broken that resolution. (laughs) Okay. All right. Yeah. A lot of resolutions, I'm not saying these resolutions necessarily had to do with that, but a lot of resolutions uh, have to do with working out, have to do with getting more exercise. Um, I'm sure that like Planet Fitness and the Rec Center and stuff like that, Athena Center, I bet their memberships like take a big bump. Uh, in January, you know us uh, thinking, maybe what I need is a place to go to, you know where that 's all I do, um, or maybe I need to make a financial commitment, and if I make that financial commitment, then i 'll follow through with the involvement. I had some uh, I can remember a guy that I talked to uh, about the YMCA uh, at one of the cities I was living in, and I was like, I asked him, are you a member of the Y? And he says, yeah, I'm a donor. <laughs> and, you know, so that's basically what he meant, was I just give money to it monthly, but I don't go and use it. I'm a donor to the YMCA. Uh, we've seen, maybe you've experienced how having a workout buddy is really helpful, has that additional accountability. Um, I'm working out with... Um, a friend right now, and uh, he doesn't know the Lord uh, as his Savior, and so not only is it do I feel like I'm going to let him down if I don't um, get to that workout with him, I have this conviction of, man, I'm, I've got a goal here of being able to share Christ uh, with this friend and being able to, um, uh, to talk about my Savior, uh, to talk about my relationship with the Lord, with him as a part of that. And so that's additionally helpful. So we're in this um, five weeks of looking at bodybuilding, being the body of Christ in 2017. Uh, For part of this, for for, uh, my portion of this, uh, these first three weeks, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. Uh, mainly focusing on the second half of it. But I thought that we would read uh, through all 16 verses to kind of pick up on the context and such. And we're really looking at what does it mean to be the body of Christ, um, specifically talked about here in Ephesians. So he says, I therefore a prisoner of the Lord. So, so Paul's writing this letter to the Ephesians from his particular context. I urge you to walk in a manner Worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If you don't have a resolution for 2017, um, I grab any one of these and uh, any one of these um, mindsets any one of these uh, activities of humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, talking about within the church body, and ask the Lord to help you in those. Um, that, I, I'll give you a little recommendation there. But he's aiming for, he challenges the Ephesian church to, and, and, and we are challenged from God's word, to aim for a unity of the spirit. And that spirit that's being talked about here is, is the Holy Spirit. And later in these verses, it'll describe Jesus our Savior as being the head of the body. And Scripture uh, describes in, at different times a body of believers like ourselves here at Harvest as being like a body with different parts to it, with different functions, with different uh, purposes, and but the head of that body is Jesus, and and as I was uh, looking over this and preparing, I thought you know, and this is just my mind. Uh, the scripture doesn't describe it this way, but you know, it, I felt like all this talk about the Holy Spirit and the Church. If if Jesus is the head of the body, it's almost like the Holy Spirit is the blood that flows through it. You know. Once you cut off blood flow, you know, what's going to happen to that part of the body? Um, and so, anyway, it's just kind of to, to, to um, highlight that. And there's a unity of the Holy Spirit ministering to us as a body, which we're encouraged to. So, what does the unity of the Spirit flow out of, but the foundational truths that we see starting in verse 4? There is one body and one Spirit. Speaking again of the Holy Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We as believers, the church universal across the world should Be and is challenged to be united under these seven foundational realities. These involve believing the gospel, believing that none of us are able, in our sinful condition, which we are all born into, none of us are able to obtain and maintain a relationship with God based on our own actions, based on our own value, based on who we are. The gospel tells us that Jesus spanned that gap between our righteousness and God's righteousness. In his death and his resurrection, and he made it possible for us to walk in relationship with God as our Father, fully forgiven, fully under the outpouring of his grace constantly by simply accepting the offer of a relationship with him through Jesus Christ as our Savior. Believing that gospel is a foundational reality that leads to a unity of the Spirit in the body of Christ. Also, walking in a personal relationship with Jesus as our Savior. The indwelling Holy Spirit is mentioned here. And having God as our Heavenly Father. These are realities that holding to these maintain a unity of the Spirit. Along with walking in humility and gentleness and reverence for one another. Yet amidst these foundations of our unity, we find diversity. We find diversity in the gifts that believers are graced with by our Savior. We see that in verse 7. But, he says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Now, I'm not going to get into this quote here um, as we're kind of breezing over, as I mentioned, these verses of context here. But with a unifying foundation of these truths that we've seen, we are gifted in order to function differently in the body of Christ. This happened at the inauguration of the church. This happened at the death of Christ and his resurrection and and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. The church became his body. And each person that comes to know Christ as our Savior and dwell with the Holy Spirit is given spiritual gifts. And I look forward to hearing from Pastor Jeff in three weeks where he'll do uh, two weeks of this series focusing on what are spiritual gifts that Christ has given to us to minister to one another, to further his kingdom, and how do we know what ours are? But here in these verses, Paul goes on to give Jesus' credentials as Savior in kind of a parentheses here. He says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So he, basically he's saying here, Jesus is worthy of his exalted position as our Savior. Now recall what verses 7 and 8 tell us prior to these parentheses. That grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And that he gave gifts to men. And these would include believers' spiritual gifts. But next in this passage comes the, some specific gifts that God has given to the church in the form of people, in the form of what we call equippers. And, and we're going to call uh, just for the sake of exam, or for the sake of analogy, uh, rather than physical trainers, spiritual trainers. So next comes some specific gifts in the forms of people to minister to to the body of Christ. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, ultimately, bodybuilding in the church is done by the individuals of the church building up the church. We're talking over these five weeks about how that happens. We're also revisiting how the Lord has been leading us as a body and and why we are where we are now. Specifically, we're reviewing how we're becoming a body of believers that intends and shoots for and hopes to be in and practices being on gospel mission in our daily lives. And we're going to be looking ahead to 2017 for what we believe God has planned for us. Anybody a fan of the show Biggest Loser? Have you ever watched Biggest Loser? I, I, I used to, there was a time for me that I would watch Biggest Loser and work out at the same time. It just was inspiring. It was great. You know, the, that show like really shows you the value of a physical trainer right um you know jillian whatever her name is and the other folks and and um you know how they, they're obviously even better than a friend you might work with work out with right they're challenging you again you know some, sometimes you're paying them to help you, you know, I guess it goes a, a little bit further. Well, if I'm paying for the gym membership and I'm paying for this trainer, I'm going to get what I need out of this, you know, um, then sometimes they'll yell at you. I don't understand people paying people to yell at them, but, um, you know, I guess it works. But it does work to have a physical trainer. Well, as I said, to th- this morning, kind of tongue in cheek a little bit, we're talking about spiritual trainers, Spiritual trainers, which are equippers helping saints to build the body. That's what spiritual trainers are. Equippers who help the saints build the body. We're focusing this morning on verses 11 through 12. We'll focus on other verses from these 16 verses in the next two weeks as well. But in verses 11 through 12, as we read before, he says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. First, we want to answer the question here who gives trainers, these spiritual trainers, to the church? It's Jesus himself. Some of your, your uh, versions that you're reading this morning say, and he himself gave. And that's because it is emphatic in the original text here. It's an emphatic statement saying, and he himself, the one who descended, the one who ascended, and has been seated at, in the heavenly realms, the one who has all authority been given to him over heaven and earth. That's the he that we're being told here, has given to the church these spiritual trainers. And we're told that the purpose of that is so that, we'll see in verse 15, that we might grow into him who is the head. So that's the he, Jesus Christ, who's being talked about here. Um, One thing that that, uh, uh, Kelly and I differ on, which... You know, opposites attract, right? Uh, I love classical music. I never get to play classical music around the house. You know, I, Kelly hates classical music. Uh, but, but anyways, the, the uh, concerts, the symphonies that I've been able to go to, like snuck away to go to. Uh, anyways, I, it, it's something really strange. You go there to hear some amazing music. I remember being as a kid watching a symphony for the first time and watching the bows of the, of the string section just going. And, and it reminded me of a field of grass on my, on my family's farm and the wind blowing over it and it just moving in, in, uh, in order. You know. So just, just to give you, that's kind of like part of what just made me love it. But anyways, you go to hear some beautiful music. And all the the instruments come out and the, the players come out and these are experts in their trade. They've won their seats here um, in this symphony. And if you if your expectation at first is to hear beautiful music right from the start, you're going to be really disappointed because it sounds horrible. You know, the bassoon is going brr, 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 you know, and the instruments are you know, And the horns are just going all over the place. And you're like, what in the heck is going on? Well, they're all tuning. They're all doing their own thing, right? They're all just off in their own little world. But that conductor steps up, hits that stand with his stick thing. <laughs> and it all goes silent, right? And now all of a sudden... When he moves his hands, when he directs it, it's beautiful. Every part's doing its piece. Every part's playing just as it should. That is a picture of what the body of Christ is meant to be with Jesus as the head, with the conductor directing the instruments. You know, even a church can be a chaotic place. You know, it can be chaotic when every part is just kind of doing its own thing, pursuing its own interests, got its own idea of of what, uh, you know, the goal is in mind there. Maybe uh, uh, treating the the situation as we so often do as an idle type of situation. I'm doing this because it's giving me something here. But when Jesus is in control, when Jesus is the head, When Jesus is directing it, it's beautiful. And that's a picture of what we're being given here in this passage. He himself has done this. And I want to tell you, every problem or opportunity should lead us to seek direction and insight from Christ. To lead it, to direct us to seek insight direction and insight from him individually and also corporately it's an opportunity to stop and go whoa okay maybe this isn't maybe we're not off track here maybe maybe this isn't a problem maybe this but let's look up let's look at our conductor let's look at our head what is he telling us to do it's an opportunity To be closer to Him. Every part of your relationship with the body of Christ, with Harvest, should encourage you and press you in to Christ. That's the purpose of it. That's what we're called to ensure as shepherds and as shepherd teachers. So what are these these spiritual trainers? He says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Now, th- there's different opinions on these things, okay? You're, you're going to um, hear that. Uh, you're going to get mine uh, this morning. Well, one thing I want to point out here from this list in general is notice that they deal with truth. They deal with God's revealed truth. Um, and notice also that there's a progression here from the early church offices to the grassroots local modern day church, if you will. The apostles and the prophets were foundational gifts to the early church. Ephesians 2.20, uh, Paul writes already that we are called the household of God. And he says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And as far as evangelists go, these are those who take the gospel to those who have not heard it before. It might be itinerant evangelists or missionaries. Uh, we, we see this modern day with, uh, our, through our relationship with people like the Lowe's in Ethiopia and the Graysons in St. Kitts. Now, notice something. Just because someone is not an evangelist doesn't mean they're not called to share the gospel. Okay? These are not exclusive roles and responsibilities. Timothy, actually, as a pastor or a shepherd teacher, he was told by Paul, do the work of an evangelist. Okay? So, this is not a matter, I just want to, as a side note here, this is not a matter of just... uh, Pigeonholing someone, or or putting these things in a box, and saying, "Okay, well, because we can make that excuse sometimes." Well, I'm not an evangelist. You know, there's evangelists out there. Those are those are the ones that God has has given to the church to share the gospel. No, we're all called to share the gospel. But this brings us to the idea of shepherd and teachers. Uh, understand that being a shepherd. And we use the term, we call our elders shepherds here. So this is like really convenient. Um, but um, some of your versions, though, here say pastor teachers. Um, and so, and I'll kind of get into that a little bit here. But being a church's shepherd is an extension of the ministry of Christ as our good shepherd, as our great shepherd, as Hebrews calls him. 1 Peter 5 says this. So I exhort the elders among you, and that term here for elders is the idea of being a shepherd. As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And then I love this statement in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears. That's the description of the return of Christ to get his church. The chief shepherd. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. These are verses that we as shepherds take very seriously. And we remind each other, we remind ourselves very often, we are under-shepherds. And Christ is the chief shepherd of his flock. Understand that in the New Testament, there really isn't a term for pastor. It's used synonymously with shepherd or overseer. Uh, like I said, some of your versions describe these, uh, translate this as pastor teachers or pastors and teachers. The terms shepherds and teachers here are actually um, most often thought to be describing a single person. That be, has to do with the, uh, a certain rule that the word and here is fitting into in the original language that would uh, combine them together to say kind of like shepherd teachers. <clears throat> and the modern expression of this idea here is the pastor of a church. But I think it reflects the fact that some pastors are more one than the other. I think that also reflects that the, past, the fact that some shepherds simply shepherd and some teachers simply teach. But the idea of a pastor is really a calling to do both. At Harvest we have shepherds, or, or uh, that's our term for elders, um, of whom that I and Jeff, as pastors, we are members of these shepherds. We work together. We make decisions together. Uh, I don't trump anyone uh, in leadership here at Harvest. As well, we have teachers who aren't shepherds, and shepherds who aren't necessarily teachers, Someone not being a shepherd officially should not keep them from leading and protecting God's flock. Anymore That, as I said, someone not being an evangelist should not keep them from sharing the gospel with others. But the modern expression of this combined calling is what we call pastors. And it's really, and I say this humbly because it's kind of weird saying, oh, we're God's gift to the church or something. That is, that is a weight to carry. But uh, really, Jeff and I, I believe, kind of fit this idea of shepherd teachers most clearly in this modern expression. Uh, so, Pastor Jeff and I, as spiritual trainers, if you will, are just a concentrated version of what all of us should be doing to a degree of, of, of shepherding one another of teaching one another. And so spiritual trainers are not intended to be the official doers of the ministry. And we see that here asking the question, what's the purpose of spiritual trainers or equippers of the saints? Um, he says here that these are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. I, I think of like a firefighter before they're gonna be actually able to go out and fight a fire, they've gotta be given their equipment and they've gotta know how to use it. It's a picture of being equipped with equipment to do the work of a firefighter. I think also if you're a James Bond fan or if you're familiar with his um associate Q, you know, before he goes out on his spy mission and stuff, he's like so Q, what do you have for me today? You know, and there's, a, for some reason, for every mission, it's a different something. You know, you can't ever use the stuff you used on the last mission. Um, you know, it's got to be something new. You know, a, a wristwatch that blows up or, or something like that. So Q would be the equipper of James Bond to go out and do the spy work, you know. Um, So if Pastor Jeff and I are intended to be those who prepare others for ministry, who does the ministry? You do. Absolutely. Lori, I appreciate that. Lori raises her hand. Absolutely. You do. The saints. We're called to equip the saints for the work of ministry. See, God provides the truth. Pastors, shepherds, teachers... Get the truth into the church's hands and minds for application. And the members, you harvesters, apply the truth in the leading of the Holy Spirit to do the ministry. To teach the children. To lead the small groups. To be involved with the small groups. And be involved in each other's lives in that way. To lead worship. To exhort. To encourage. To challenge each other. To replace light bulbs. To reach your neighbors. And what's the end goal of ministry here? It's a healthy body. It says to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. Verses 15 and 16 give a clearer picture of this. Where he says speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him. Being Christ who is the head. The head from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, that would be the people, the members of the body, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It builds itself. Each part working properly makes the body grow. The end game here is us being more and uh, more deeply in relationship with Christ, as I said, individually and corporately, as our head of our body, and ministry taking place, doing ministry. Accomplishing our purpose as a church. Exalting God. Edifying one another. Edifying believers. And extending his kingdom. The idea of someone being equipped for ministry. Actually, the term equipped is like setting something up right. Okay? It actually is used in ancient times for a doctor resetting a bone. Setting it Correctly, but if you think in terms of like a physical trainer uh, helping somebody that's trying to to uh, strengthen their body or something, it might be that they're spotting them. They're 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 uh, making sure that when they go down for that squat, they're not going down in a way that's going to hurt their body, or it's not it's going they're going to get the the most uh, effectiveness out of that. You know, they're going to make sure they're going down low enough, and you know, get everything out of it. A physical trainer and a spiritual trainer is there to equip the worker of the ministry to help them to do it in a way that builds their relationship with the Lord and that builds the body. That's what the beauty of these verses, and that's what we're going off of. This is what I hope I'm doing right now in preaching God's Word to you correcting maybe a common misconception. Because the common misconception is, well, this is my minister. And the thought is, I'm, I'm nothing against that. But the thought is there, he does the ministry. You know, he's the minister. But really, if you know Christ as your Savior, you are a minister of the gospel. That's part of the reason uh, some years ago we had a, um, a marriage conference that we did in one of our small groups uh, facilitated that. And I loved being involved with the small group as, as they were putting it together and letting them run with it and, and just seeing so much being done by them. And what we did on the following Sunday was to give each one of them a name tag. And they put that name tag on and all it said was Minister of the Gospel. Because that's what we want to get across. That's the the misnomer, the misconception that we always want to be working against and that is the idea that The pastor is the minister of the gospel. No, the pastor is there to help the body minister with the gospel. Plain and simple. You know, Peyton Manning was an amazing leader. An amazing leader as a quarterback of the Colts. Even with his ability, though, what would have happened if all the other players said, you know what, he's all we need? He's got it. What if his offensive line was like, you don't need us. Forget it. They would have been misunderstanding his, his, not only his ability but how the whole game works. And I'm not likening a pastor to Peyton Manning or anything like that. But it's an example of how when you've got to battle against 11 men out on the football field, one person is going to be ridiculously useless. Useless. You might as well have nobody out there. Tony Dungy wrote this about Peyton's leadership. He said, if you were to ask the Colts fans who the 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 on-the-field leader of the team was when I coached, many would say Peyton Manning. Given that he was an all-pro quarterback who led the offense, it it makes sense and was certainly true. But what I observed during my years with the Colts is that we became a much better team and a much better organization when other players of the 53-man roster also stepped up alongside Peyton to take leadership responsibility. Peyton Manning would be the first to tell you that his goal was not to be seen as the leader of the Colts. His goal was to win championships. Therefore, as Peyton led the team in the huddle and on the field, he also educated and helped his teammates. He knew that the more leaders there were on our team, the better off he and the Colts would be. And I'll tell you, the more harvesters there are on gospel mission in your daily life, the more successful we are in accomplishing the work that Christ has given us to do in Montgomery County and around the world. And so our vision here is harvesters on gospel mission in their daily lives. And I'm going to continue reading this Tony Dungy article. Um, It really ministered to me this week because it was like, yes, this is what we should be doing. We should be reminding each other of what it is that, that makes us who we are and why we are on this mission together. So Tony says this. There are three guiding principles of leadership to create the act as, I'm sorry, to create that act as the goalposts, quote, for the decisions and the actions of our lives. These elements act as the guiding lights for our lives and the lives of the families and people we lead. Here are three things every leader needs to direct, to direct and guide. Every leader needs to direct and guide what we do. A leader 's job is to cast vision to remind everyone of their common goals, and to give people an inspirational hook to hang on to, to hang on to so they won 't be tempted to give up when times get tough. Preserving the vision will sometimes depend entirely on faith, the hope of things not yet seen. At other times, we may have some objective evidence, no matter how small or incremental, that shows progress. And thus keeps us moving forward. Keep the vision out front. Don't let people quit early. And don't you quit either. A mission statement is the second most important. First was vision. Whether it's for an organization, institution, family, team, or individual, the mission statement serves to answer a fundamental question. Why do we exist? In other words, why are we doing what we are doing? Why bother with all of this anyway? Vision and mission are dynamic components of the direction God wants us to go. They will change over time as we are guided by God's word and by the disciples of our faith amid the the changing needs of our society. If God wants us to retool, redevelop, or redirect our efforts, he will guide us in those new directions. If we have trouble hearing him, He will faithfully work in our lives until we are pointed in the direction he wants us to go. First, cast the vision, then establish the mission, then get moving. Third goalpost is values. The final component that guides any sound organization is its values. Values very simply can be thought of as the rules of the road. They tell us us and others what is important to us as leaders, as an organization, and as individuals. They are the rudder that steers the ship. They tell us how to treat other people, both inside and outside the team or organization. The values we adopt as leaders will paint a picture for others that is appealing and attractive of someone they want to be associated with or not. Our values will determine how we as leaders approach, care for, and develop our mentoring relationships. Taken as a whole, our value, our mission... Sorry. Our vision, mission, and values tell the world who we are, what is important to us, and what guides our lives. They're a snapshot of what we are and the type of leaders we will be. Our values should clearly demonstrate that we are committed to the advancement and the well-being of other people, those we are called to serve and lead. Now, I share that with you partly because I was kind of in the dumps this week because... Here I am coming back to say, These are our, this is our vision. These is, this is our purpose or our mission. These are our values. And I was like, Lord, I want to preach your word. I don't want to preach our mission. I don't want to preach our vision. But I was reminded by this how important it is. For us, for us to be reminded of who God has made us. The job he's given us to do as a body. You're not here to just hear a sermon and go home and have a better life because of it. You are here to be sent out on mission into your world. And, and this article was extremely encouraging to me to continue on. And so I just want to, th- this has to do with our passage. And, and um, I'm going to breeze through this because we'll be able to hit on it for the next two weeks as well. But I want to give you a reminder here that our vision is our purposes and our values combined. In other words, uh, as confusing as this, as this slide might be, our purposes, our horizon, that are our mission that we're constantly moving in the direction of. And it's our horizon because even as we get closer, it just kind of seems like it gets further away. That's our constant direction that we want to move in. And our values are how we get from here to there. How God has wired us to be as a body of believers. And we differ from other body of believers based on how God has wired us. And you put those together and we as leadership say, this is where we believe God is taking us if we continue to move in the direction of what he's given us to do and continue to do it in the way that he's wired us to do it. And what we see that as is harvesters on gospel mission in our daily lives. So our purposes, our constant direction are the same. Exalting God, edifying and equipping believers, and extending his kingdom. We, never, we do not believe that God will cease these to be the direction that we should move in until he arrives here to pick us up. Some churches see it as an option of whether they move or not. We don't. Not moving is not an option. Because to move forward in this direction is to exalt Him and praise Him, edify and and equip believers and extend His kingdom. Their values, the harvest way of doing things, we have called it before, is that we seek to accomplish our purposes. Is that slide available? Is that next one? There we go. Thanks. Seeking to follow Christ under the authority of the scriptures, applying the truth to daily life in prayerful dependence on God with ministry being done by the body in the context of healthy relationships. This is, these are the ingredients that, we, that, that God has sown into us as a body, and therefore, if something's done in the harvest way, we think that these ingredients should be sown into everything that we do. Just to give you a little um, a sneak peek, we believe that God wants us to incorporate a sixth value as a body, because and these these aren't things that we think God wants us to be. We believe that this is what God has made us. This is what we believe we are. And we, so we want with everything to accentuate how God has wired us to be as a body. And so that sixth one there, and we'll talk about it next week, is discipling the next generation of. Fill in the blank. What do you fill in the blank with? What you do. Discipling the next generation of shepherds. Discipling the next generation of servant team members. Discipling the next generation of, of greeters. Discipling the next generation of teachers of children, of followers of Christ. God has wired us to always be looking. Who's the next one? Who am I pouring into? Who's pouring into me? And so moving in that constant direction according to the way that God has wired us simply arrives us at our vision of harvesters being on gospel mission in our daily lives. Now just as a quick review We asked the question, we felt like God was bringing us in 2016 to a place where we realized we need another spiritual trainer. We need another equipper. We need to add to our team of equippers in order to accomplish this. And that's what led us to bring Pastor Jeff and his family here to Crawfordsville. It was in movement on this mission. And it's so important for me to make this clear to you. Because I said there 's misnomers there 's misunderstandings about what a pastor is. The understanding in our culture so often is oh good we 've got another minister of the gospel we'll get he 'll do more ministry no he 's here to help you do better ministry and for us to do more of it, not spread you thinner at all because this should all be. Adding to your relationship with the Lord. It should be an outflowing of your relationship with the Lord. But the Lord led us to bring Pastor Jeff and his family here in order to continue to accomplish this, to move forward in this way. And uh, his description is to equip harvesters in the areas of discipleship and outreach. Examples of this, we've seen it in our fall festival. Completely an outgrowth of the Lord bringing the core horns here. What a great uh, um, first uh, glimpse of what God has for us as a body. And it was wonderful because it was equipping you as harvesters to reach others, to share the love of Christ with others. Uh, Jeff is already pouring a lot of equipping into the children's ministry uh, that is, I believe, is already seeing great fruit. Um, I was at a small group leaders meeting last night uh, that that uh, was excellent training for us as small group leaders. Um, I, I texted Jeff when I got home, and I was like, fantastic. That was awesome. And not just to encourage him. That's my opinion about it. I, and I'm not trying to praise Jeff here, but I, I'm sharing with you my excitement of what God is doing here. All right? But reiterate again. Jeff and I are not here to do the ministry. We are here to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Uh, along with this, uh, this last year, the Lord led us to start supporting um, the pastor of the church in Charlotte, Haiti at uh, $300 a month, uh, which is actually a phenomenal amount of money. You know, it's, it's, kind of, it's a It's a paycheck. For him there. in, And I apologize for his name escaping me. Um, but we want to further God's kingdom. And we know that God works through his equipping people. In order to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so that's what we're doing. Um, as a part of that church in Haiti. And, and I could go on and list off other things from 2016. But I don't want to keep you here all day. Um, but to... To let you know, too, Jay is in Haiti right now, and he's assessing the needs of the church and the community there. The building which we built some years ago has been destroyed. Um, Thankfully, they have fresh water uh, due to the well that the Lord allowed for us to install there. Um, I look forward to sharing with you. I couldn't find it, but I look forward to sharing with you uh, the letter that they had sent basically saying... Uh, Your support as a church, your help, has saved lives here in Charlotte after the hurricane uh, passed through there. And uh, Jay is going to be coming back with some assessment for us of what are the needs there, how can we be involved. But one of the ways that we are working already is to help support the equipper there, to help support the pastor there. um, In order to get God's truth continually. Uh, into the lives of the people of Charlotte. Um, so that's my conclusion. Usually I'll have like something better than that, but let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for the 1,500 foot perspective that you allow me to have um, as a shepherd teacher uh, here at Harvest. Harvest. And I thank you for each person that you have brought into the flock that's here. Uh, Thank you for the privilege that it is to shepherd and to work alongside of other shepherds and other ministers of the gospel. Um, Father, I thank you for problems. I thank you for challenges. I thank you for all of these opportunities that we have to press into our relationship with the Lord. To know you better, Lord, we pray that we would be a body of believers on gospel mission in our daily lives, and we pray, Lord, that it would be an outgrowth and it would that it would add to our relationship with you, our walk with you as our Savior. That you would build this body up, Father, um, and that we would be able to enjoy you uh, in the process, and even better as a result. And I just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.